there are 14 to 15 million households of color in America. So if in fact their experience is speaking to some reality, as the body of Christ, we still need to lean into that. We can't just say, well, racism is a hoax and it's dumb and you you drank the Kool-Aid. Well, okay, let's just say that I did drink the Kool-Aid. Are you going to simply say I drank the Kool-Aid and not give me a solution? Or are you going to help be a part of what 2 Corinthians 5 talks about? And that is the ministry of reconciliation, right? So we, we as, as the kingdom of God, we've got to be a part of the solution. Welcome to the Social Media Church Podcast. I'm here with my friend Christopher Harris of Crossover Church. He's the executive pastor, uh, entrepreneur, uh, incredibly smart guy. Uh, we've got a lot of similarities or things, in, similar interests. We're going to talk about that in this conversation. Christopher, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nils. Man, it's my pleasure to be on with you today. And uh, hopefully you are safe and sane right now in New York. <laughs> trying to be, trying to be. Well, let's, let's talk you first, and then I want to get into Crossover Church. To share a little bit about your background, what you do currently, but how you got into uh, the ministry work that you're doing today. Yeah, I will. Um, I'll try to make it short as well. So, um, Christopher Harris, um, I have the amazing privilege to serve full-time as the executive pastor at Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. And um, shout out to our team there, my pastor there, and everybody that's helping to make things happen. Uh, I also wear uh, a, couple other, a couple of other hats as well. Uh, I am um, the founder of DiverseChurchJobs.com, which is a platform that enables uh, people of color to find ministry jobs uh, across the U.S. And so really uh, excited about that. Uh, I've been doing that work sort of behind the scenes and informally for about five or six years or so, uh, more intently. And then uh, we formally launched the platform Martin Luther King weekend of 2020. So had I known that we would we were getting ready to start two pandemics, I would have. I think I might have waited, but I, I think God knew I needed to get it launched. So yes. uh, do that. Um, I also uh, am a church consultant, uh, a podcast, and an author, and so just just having fun, man, trying to impact the kingdom in a good way. I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about diversechurchjobs.com. Where where did you come up with the idea? What was the the concept, and what's what's your dreams and hopes for it? Yeah, absolutely, man. So um, to be honest with you, it started out of need. Uh, I mean, that's the thing that really drives it, that that really there there are very limited options for people of color in ministry uh, to find quality ministry jobs. If you're not connected to a particular denomination um, or a seminary and you're a person of color, and I'm, I'm defining people of color as African-American, Hispanic, and Asian, um, if you fall into one of those three categories, um, you know, outside of your denominational seminary, you're really left to, you know, robocalling your friends and your contacts or hitting people up on social media. Um, and that's just, you know, it's not healthy for the kingdom. And so we wanted to create a platform where folks could be vetted and also developed and uh, be connected to incredible ministry jobs where people are doing great work. And that's that's really, I mean, it, it, again, it, it was birthed out of my own need, but then uh, my, my need was not unique. I started noticing that there's a huge gaping hole there. And so, man, I've been busier than I, than I anticipated, but that's a good thing because that means that people are getting connected and finding what they need, so. I love that. What's, can you talk a little bit, because this is one, one of the things I find with, with church leaders in particular is we love to talk about ideas, but we don't execute very well. Um, and, and so you, you took an idea to execution. What was that journey uh, that, that you saw the need and how did, how did you go about meeting it? What was your process? 
Man, it was like birthing a baby. And as a dad of four, I can tell you that that's a lot, that's a lot of work. Um, but, but all jokes aside, Niels, and I think that's a great question. And I, I, I will say that I absolutely agree with you. The church really struggles with execution. Um, but to be candid with you, um, I, I initially had the idea around 2008, 2009, 2010. And really, as you can tell from the timeline, I mean, I just sat on the idea and nursed it for a while. Um, to be totally transparent, I actually shopped the idea around with some other platforms and, and companies that do this kind of work. Um, and, um, you know, there wasn't really an interest from, from them. And it, the idea just never went away. And so what I did was I, first of all, I reached out to some of my personal board of directors, uh, people who I trust that speak into my life. Uh, tell me what you think about this. Um, I, I spoke with my wife and, and we, we had a very, very candid conversation about capacity, right? Um, you know, that, that meant financial, that meant time, you know, investment, all those kinds of things. And man, once I got their blessings, my wife's blessing, once I got uh, my personal board of directors blessings, um, I then assembled a team of about 20 to 30 focus group people. And for a year, I just, I met with them regularly. I bounced ideas off. Um, you know, once we uh, got all of the people that were doing the technical stuff to build a machine on the back end, um, I just found all the gaps and found all the questions that people would have. Um, we started vetting the website in August of 2019. And man, I, I, I can't tell you how many tweaks and adjustments and, you know, no, that doesn't work. And no, that's not gonna work. Or, you know, fortunately I, had, I didn't have to do any rebuilding but man, I like endless number of edits and tweaks and adjustments and that kind of thing. And so um, we, you know, then we officially launched in January. And to be honest, the, the work of marketing and advertising it is almost just as much work, if not more than it actually is producing it. So it is, it is a journey. And I think this is the case with any ministry. It, it is never, uh, it, you know, it looks fun and exciting on the outside, but when you're in the trenches, when you're tweaking that website, when you feel like it will never get done, um, and it's years of work and labor just to get launched, and then you're just starting on the marketing side, and, and then you're almost having to ramp that up. Um, I, I love it. I love how you're meeting me, that me, need. Go ahead, Chris. Let me just add really, really fast to this too, Neil. Uh, I, I also had to, to crush my pride, wow. right? Okay. This, was, this, was a, this was an idea that I had. But the way that it was translating in my mind, or at least everything that translated in my mind, didn't necessarily relate or resonate with people that were not in my head, right? And so I had to trust the voices of the focus group and the people that were helping me to, to, to vet this and put this together. And so when they asked questions, I couldn't take it personal. Like I had to say, okay, well, they asked that question for a reason. There's, there's going to be 10,000 other people that probably see it that same way. So how do I navigate that and pivot for that? So I just wanted to throw that in there as well. Yeah, and I, I, I want to get maybe personal here uh, for, for a minute, and uh, I, I didn't plan on this conversation going this direction, but I, I just got off the call with, with a client, uh, you know, maybe two hours ago, and and uh, they have a podcast, and their podcast uh, dropped in half of engagement um, two, two months in a row, uh, both with the same circumstance of they addressed racism twice, um, and they saw their engagement drop in half and stayed in half and then they did it again and it dropped again. It was, it was nauseating, deflating, um, enraging that that's, that's that many ways people just stopped listening to their podcast because they, they chose to talk about this. When you began to shop this around it, I guess in some ways I'd love to hear you just help, uh, 
maybe the white listeners that are listening to understand that reality of getting jobs, finding partnerships, and, and just some of those challenges that, that have come along the way that people just have no idea about. Yeah. Well, and first of all, thank you, Niels, for even brokering that part of the conversation. I wasn't prepared either to have that, but I'm okay with having it. Um, you know, I would say, first of all, if I'm being totally transparent, um, I, I, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence about the idea. As I mentioned earlier, um, I vetted it with some other established firms. Uh, and I don't want to mention their names, but I mean, they're, all of us that are in the ministry space know some of the, the firms that are out there that do uh, you know, ministry placement and job uh, searches and that kind of thing. And I mean, these are pretty influential companies um, in many spaces. And, and so they, they rejected it. And so a part of me personally was like, well, if they reject it, it's probably not going to work, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I literally had to spend some time just mustering up the courage to say, okay, Christopher, either you're going to totally dismiss this unction and this gut feeling that you have, or you're going to go ahead and just, you know, throw caution to the wind and see what happens. And so that was one of the first things. I think secondly, um, it is not lost on me that there's there's really two pandemics going on right now. There's a yeah. pandemic of COVID-19, but there's a pandemic of pandemonium around justice, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And I, I think if if people in the body of Christ are not aware of that, at least to, um, so, so let, me, let me say it this way. Yeah. It, it, it can be easy, Neil, Niels, for all of us in the body of Christ to get into our silos, into our corners, and argue our points, whether we think these conversations are, you know, hoaxes or myths or whatever. Yeah. Now, even if that's the case, a part of my argument is this. Number one, there are 14 to 15 million households of color in America. So if, in fact, their experience is speaking to some reality as the body of Christ. We still need to lean into that. We can't just say, well, uh, racism is a hoax and it's dumb and you've, you drank the Kool-Aid. Well, okay. Let's just say that I did drink the Kool-Aid. Are you going to simply say I drank the Kool-Aid and not give me a solution? Or are you going to help be a part of what second Corinthians five talks about? And that is the ministry of reconciliation, right? So we, we, as, as the kingdom of God, we got to be a part of the solution. I think secondly, uh, to this point, um, if, if we want to lean into that, all of us have to put on our learning hat. Uh, all of us have to put on our learning hat. And at some point, though, even past learning, you've got to put action to what you've learned. And I would challenge any church in America today that if they are not prepared to at least engage in a healthy way, the conversations around justice, particularly around race, they're, they're going to find themselves really challenged in terms of evangelism. Um, I think they're going to find themselves really challenged in terms of credibility. Um, if for no other reason, and I'll, I'll land the plane with this, um, my kids' world is vastly different even than when I was their age. Um, my, my oldest daughter, who's a teenager now, um, has friends that are of a different socioeconomic status, a different race, a different experience, right? <clears throat> but the church is going to have to be able to embrace my daughter and her friends and their real life experience, right? Uh, 30 years ago, yeah, in the cafeteria, the kids sat on whatever side they wanted to sit on, and it was based on this, the, the athletes over here and the black kids over there, the white kids over there, the you know country music fans over there. You know, That's not the reality anymore. Right. We, we are in a 
a world that is so intertwined um, that that many many of the younger generation see justice as a biblical issue. They see it as a necessary issue because the pain of people that feel uh, infringed upon is personal to them. It's not just a policy issue. The pain is personal. And so we've got to lean into that. Um, in Nashville, one of the largest uh, peaceful protests that they had in the country was actually led by four 14-year-old girls who were all white, right? So when you look at that, and, and Nashville, Niels, this is, the, this is the buckle of the Bible Belt, right? Yep. So that, that, that's just the encouragement that I would have. Um, I, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but... Yeah, you did. I, 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 I think it's just helpful. I, I'm learning so much in in this season um and 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 i it hurts me to know that there are people that uh that that are choosing not to listen um and and this is a conversation that i i should have been more attentive to and my friend jason caston uh really opened my eyes about five years ago and it's been a learning since then and especially in this season and and let me just say to neil i I want to i want to while i'm on this podcast with you I want to pat you on the back because your authenticity, authenticity of learning with Jason. Um, I've listened to a few of you guys' conversations um, and podcasts and some things that you put on YouTube and on your podcast. And so I want to commend you because I I think, you know, all of us. So even black people are not experts at race issues. Right. We're we're impacted by it. But there's still stuff that we have to learn as well. But, But what I what I can say is that all of us need to have better tools to navigate this. We need to we need to be become more aware of the real history of America. Yes. And more particularly, we need to become more aware of the church's role yes. in American history as it relates to race. So, yeah, uh, so good. So good. And I, I appreciate you boldly stepping into this position and meeting uh, this critical need in, in the life of the church. Let's let's talk church a little bit more uh, crossover church. I've just gotten to know, and I've heard it by reputation, but getting to know it a little bit more recently, one of the most fascinating churches in America. Can you give a little bit of background on, on Crossover Church? Yeah, so, yeah, and thank you. Um, so Crossover, I, and I, I like to start the story about Crossover with our pastor, uh, because I think that helps to color uh, a lot of the lens of how we do ministry. Uh, so our pastor is actually still very young. He's like in his mid-40s, right? Uh, but he's been at the church for 23 years, 24 years. Um, and he started out as the youth pastor. The youth ministry started growing uh, by leaps and bounds, you know, 20-some-odd years ago. And, and part of the reason why it grew was, number one, uh, he was very intentional about uh, grabbing diverse uh, people. He didn't just want a white church or a black church or whatever. He wanted it from the very beginning for it to be multi-ethnic. So he started the youth ministry that way. Number two, he is a pioneer in Christian hip hop. I mean, he was he's one of those ones that have taken the licks and the whips and the beatings around bringing, quote unquote, that music into the church. Right. Uh, and, and so he used the music and he used the arts as a way to leverage the gospel conversation and leverage evangelism. And so that drew kids, right? And so from the very onset, our, our ministry is a multi-ethnic, multi-class, multi-generational um, uh, church. And uh, we use the arts in a, in a real way. And so I'll, I'll often feel like I have to give a disclaimer to using that term multi-ethnic, uh, multi-ethnic church because many churches in America, uh, here we go again with that conversation, but yeah. many churches in America that call themselves multi-ethnic, they have diversity, but they're not multi-ethnic, right? They have diversity in their seats, but their culture is a white church. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? I'm not asking anybody to apologize for that reality, but I am saying acknowledge that reality, right? 
Um, and, and so uh, when we say that we're multi-ethnic, for us, that literally means when you come to our church, no matter what your race or your culture or ethnicity is, you're going to find elements of that in our church services, in the DNA, the culture, the vibe of our church. You go to our website, it's, it's our real pictures, Niels. It's not stock images of diversity. It's real pictures, right? If you go to our social media, it's real pictures of diversity. When you come to our church, you're going to hear CCM, you're going to hear gospel, you're going to hear reggae, you're going to hear soul, you know, everything in between. You probably won't hear a lot of country, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, but, but so, yeah, yeah, we're in Tampa too. So, um, so our church, you know, uh, is, you know, about 35 or so percent, uh, 40 percent African-American, about 30 percent Hispanic. Uh, we've got a huge Hispanic population that have migrated from uh, New York and, and the New England states. And then uh, the, the remaining percentages there are, um, you know, other, what you would call other with some Asian. And we've got some folks from international uh, spaces and that kind of thing. So we're really blessed in that regard. Um so we, we, we believe in, diverse, uh, in diversity, but we also believe very much in discipleship, yeah. uh, being involved in our community. We have a project that we have that's taken a life of its own called Love Our City. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's Crossover Church. Well, let's, and I want to talk about Love Our City, but one, one of the things that it, it really fascinates me, the multi-ethnic, and the only other church that, I, that I've seen similar is New Life Fellowship here in New York in Queens. Uh, Pete's Cazares old church and Rich Viotis pastors it now. And but Queens is like seventy percent of people from Queens were born outside of the United States, and so it it is almost just innate because of where they are. Uh, I think it for for crossover church, and I think for so many other churches, it didn't happen accidentally. And see, so I think you can't hope to have a a, a, a multi ethnic or even multi generational is is a whole other challenge, and it's not easy. So just because you even want it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, and so I think the intentionality. I think your your pastor is just a, an incredible guy, and obviously the leadership you provide and 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 has been. Uh, developing through the years uh, is, is just awesome, incredible. Can you, can you share a little bit about Love Your City and, and that project initiative uh, yeah. that, that the church is doing? Yeah, so we, we were trying to be responsive to where people are. And what we found was is, is that uh, there's a new generation of, of folks. And, and when I say new generation, I'm not talking about age, but I'm saying in terms of mindset of folks that want to see their church actually make an impact in the city beyond Sunday. Um, And, you know, there are also real needs in our cities. I mean, you're dealing with you're dealing with homelessness issues. You're dealing with, you know, food deserts. You're dealing with education gaps, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's not just uh, for the disenfranchised or those that are lower session, so lower social economic status. But that's also for people who are professionals. Right. Um, There are people that, that are oftentimes caught in the middle. Uh, but we also understood that there was a huge hope deficit and people just needed people without an agenda. Um, I think the church does a great job. Oftentimes um, when we issue campaigns where we're going to go and we're going to we're going to win our city for Jesus. And so we've got our pamphlets and our, you know, our door hangers and our business cards. And we're out and we're evangelizing in our community. And there's a place for that. But we also wanted to help to rebrand the church to say, that the church can draw people just simply through love with no agenda. And, and whether that's, whether that's they come to our church or not, we want to win them to the kingdom of God. Right. So we, we literally just started out doing 
you know, some other churches may call it random acts of kindness. Yeah. We literally just started doing those kinds of things. We, we'd show up at a, at a gas station and literally wait at the pumps with our shirts. And it's, you know, you got 10 people out there with the same shirt showing up at a, at a, at a, at a, at a gas station. People are like, what in the world is going on? And then when they pull up and they slowly get out of the car, looking around at you, they're like, uh, can I help you? Hey, we're going to pay for your gas. What's the catch? Yeah. No catch. And we just hand them a bag that's got like, you know, a Kleenex in it, a card for our church, some some sanitizer, and then like some candy. Okay. And and they're blown away because then they're like, well, there's no catch. You don't want to try to sell me anything. You don't want to have a long conversation, da 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 And we just kind of let them go on their way. And so over time, we've done those kinds of things, laundromats, uh, Starbucks. We, we found businesses in our city where we could literally just go and bless them with a lunch. We found out how many staff members are there. And so, yeah, that that's Love Our City. And we put uh, a campaign kit together so churches can actually go to loveourcity.info, get that information downloaded. We've got a devotional guide and just all that stuff with it. So I love it. I love it. And I'll, and I'll have that link in the show notes at socialmedia.church as well as the Diverse Church Stops uh, link. But if yeah. we um, and let's talk social media. Uh, how have, have you seen it crossover social media? Like, how does it integrate into your church? What are you seeing? And I'm curious, even pre-COVID, you know, and to today, what has changed in the life yeah. of social media? So crazy as it sounds, Niels, we, we actually, so 2017, 2018, we actually, so this, this is going to sound really weird. Okay. We went the unconventional route and we've got, so there's, there's several major higher education institutions in our city. Okay, uh, okay. USF, University of South Florida is one of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Premier institution, uh, they're doing great work. Uh, but with so many college students in town, we said, man, we're going to we're going to go on LinkedIn, uh, Indeed and some other platforms and we're just going to get some social media interns. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we got some social media interns, brought them on, on board, got them trained. Uh, obviously, most of them agree with us theologically, so we didn't have to you know, worry about any of those kinds of things. Uh, but we literally just and this was a conversation, Neil, it really was. Yeah. But it really was just us taking a risk and a trust them moment. <laughs> right. Uh, you're it. trusting strangers with your social media account. Right. That could go south really fast. That's right. Uh, but we you know, we and we did our due diligence. I mean, we had them sign some waivers and some other yeah. things, but we did that. And. In two years, I mean, our social media went. We, I mean, on our Facebook page, we added like five or six thousand people in two years, right? Yeah. Um, we we don't use uh, we don't use Twitter as much. I mean, it's it's linked and it's it's utilized. Same thing on our Instagram; it shot up. Our engagement on Instagram shot up, and so uh, and that's not to say that we do everything perfect. I mean, that's how you and I met. We wanted to kind of learn some best practices and that kind of thing. But um, what we found then was that we were actually prepared for the pandemic in that way. Um, that social media was not a foreign concept. And for, for the churches and the pastors, the ministry leaders that are listening to this, you know, for us, the mindset shift was that social media is not just social media, it's actually social ministry. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was a real conversation that we had to have and a paradigm shift that we had to have on our team. And and so uh, now, I mean, it is it is a major, major part of what we do. Uh, we do our weekly Bible study on Facebook Live, right? Um, if people want to know announcements or anything that's going on, we celebrate our members on social media, right? We don't just do announcements on Sundays. I mean, so all of those kinds of things. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I would say, again, um, it's, social, it's social ministry. Um, our kids, your kids, Niels, they don't see social media as um, 
an other thing. It, it is a necessary thing. Yes, yes. <laughs> And so, you know, our kids ministry, our youth ministry, middle school, high school ministry, I mean, they're 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 doing everything that our kids would do on a regular basis. They're on TikTok, they're on Snapchat, you know, all those kinds of things. So um, so, yeah, that's that's how we're sort of engaging it and just kind of meeting people where they are. I mean, they're already there. So why not use it? You know? Yep. So so you and I are we found a similarity that that is off from the trends and maybe it's just because we're the old guys. uh, But we both prefer Twitter over all the other social networks. Why is it that, what, what is it for you that makes Twitter your favorite? Man, it, it's quick. Um, it, it's news on there. So I can, you know, I can kind of get a, a snapshot in the mornings of what's going on, what's trending. I can, you know, look at the trending topics, see what's happening there. Um, you know, people can, and it forces you to be concise because you only got so many characters, right? So I can, man, it's, it's amazing to me how people can literally write a dissertation in 160 characters, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I love the hashtags. You can follow a, a, a conversation and a community on there. Um, I've tried to, I've, I've fa- sort of fallen off the last few months during the pandemic, and that's just because we've been consumed with other things. Yep. But I, I've created multiple lists on there, right? So yep. if, I, if I just want to go on there and I've got people that I know I can follow that are in Tampa, they're leaders in Tampa, whether that's our mayor or our police chief or other elected officials or appointed officials, I've got them on a list, right? So I can just go and see here's what's happening, what they're saying. Um, if they're inspirational people that I want to follow, if they're specific pastors, you know, so yeah. the list goes on and on in that regard. And uh, for me, I mean, it's just it, it's a lot more concise and easier to use. And uh, I've just found a lot of people, man, they push back on Twitter and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think it's uh, it's 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 not pretty butterflies uh, like like you're going to see on Instagram. Instagram's happy um, and Twitter is not the happiest place in the world, but it, but it is when you want to get your news and you want to get your information, that's the place to go. Hey, to be clear, man, Twitter can be brutal. Uh, it, <laughs> I, I feel bad sometimes for some of the folks that are major influencers on Twitter, because yep. you know, and, and but they know. I mean, they know they're getting ready. To, certain things they're gonna say, they're gonna open up a hornet's nest. You know, yep. like like I think about a person like a, uh, I don't know. I, I'll pick two different two different kinds of thought processes. Yep. You take a person like a Beth Moore and a Jackie Hill Perry, right? Yep. They already know that they're gonna catch some heat, right? Yes. Um, even somebody like an Ed Stetzer, like he already knows when he's gonna talk about certain things, yep. they're gonna catch some heat. So they're already prepared for that, and they get what I call social media thick skin. But man, Twitter can be brutal, man. It can, it can be, be brutal. It can be, it's, and it's fun to watch. Let's as as we wrap up, I would love uh, for you to share as you look ahead. I, I think we're in a we're in a state of the church right now, where. Boy, I think I remember talking to a pastor beginning of quarantine saying, well, I just got to make it to Easter because we'll definitely be open by Easter. Well, now we I think there's no you're in Florida, you know, like it's it's nuts. Um, What what how how does a pastor like how do you and your role prepare for the future? And where do you see things going? Not just quarantine, but social media, just ministry in general. What what's going to look like in the future? Yeah. And I'm just going to I'm just going to say first before I answer that answer that. It's not lost on me that a guy in New York is throwing shade at a guy in Florida. <laughs> hey, we're the, we're the, the least, least percentage in the country right now. Yeah, we took y'all's place real fast, oh, didn't man. we? Oh, man. Boy, we lived in fear, though, early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to learn from our mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, again, thank you for having me on. This is this has been a joy. Um, and I've, I followed your work, man, and, and want to salute you for all that you're doing for the kingdom and thank just you. to kind of help churches navigate where they are. Um, there's a couple of things that I would say, Niels. Uh, number one, um, 
you know, I would invite ministry leaders and pastors and executive pastors just so that their anxiety, their anxiousness, their worry can go down a little bit. Yep. Throw out the word normal. Just just throw that word out. Um, because I think what people part of the fight that we have now is that everybody wants to get back into the building because they want to go back to normal. Yes. And even once we get back into the building, Niels, I just don't know that everything will be be normal. Right. Um, you know, part of the 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 picture that I paint um, on calls or in conversations, um, and you'll get this. You live in New York. You know, many of us remember pre 9-11, right? We could pull up to the to the airport, get out with our family members, walk them to the gate, hug them, kiss them, sit there, eat with them, watch them walk down the jet bridge, see the plane pull off the whole nine yards. Well, of course, 9-11 totally changed that dynamic. Yeah. I, I think I think COVID-19 is going to change that dynamic. I don't mm-hmm. I just don't know that we we're fighting to go back to what we were comfortable with. And I just don't think that's going to happen again. Yeah. And that's just my personal opinion. Right. I, yeah. I don't 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 come for me on Twitter right? <laughs> <laughs> with all the data and your opinion yeah. on it. I mean, you can you can post it whatever you want. But yeah, so that's my opinion. I, I think secondly, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that discipleship is going to have to look much different. Uh, in the future than it's had than it has looked in the past. Um, we were very uh, facility biz, uh, building driven and centric and focused. Um, and while there's nothing wrong with our buildings, we're not going to demonize that. Um, I think moving forward, that can't be the only option uh, anymore. I think that now that people have seen that, oh, in fact, you guys can do a 50 minute service and it'd be 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 good. Oh, you can do uh, virtual growth groups or you can pray for me without having to set an appointment and come to the building. You know, just all of those dynamics. I think I think churches are going to have to not look to stop those things, but in fact, um, drive in both lanes and do that well at the same time. Um, I think what kids ministry, youth ministry is going to look like in the in the future um, is going to have to look radically different uh, than just having kids pile into a one room, you know, for a week uh, or or per week. Uh, Once a week is going to have to look different. Um, And then this is maybe a little bit of a curveball. But back to what you and I talked a little bit about earlier, when, when I think about the future of the church. Uh, I just think that a church that is not being the church outside of Sunday is going to struggle. Yes. Um, I, I really, I'm, I'm, I really have a strong conviction around that. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think a church has to do everything, but I think they have to do something right. They're going to have to find their lanes, find the areas that they, they're passionate about. Uh, one of the things that we've seen during this pandemic is the necessity for a partnership and collaboration. Yeah. We've seen organizations and churches collaborate like never before. I think that's going to need to continue. And then finally, I think conversations around justice, a church is going to need to absolutely engage in those conversations. And um, that's that's not comfortable. I know that's not easy to have. But I think the longer that a church waits to have them, it's kind of like, you know, issues in your marriage. If there's an issue that comes up in your marriage, you you are not being wise if you think that sucker's going away just because you ignore it. Like it's, it's going to get worse. Yes. And, uh, you know, if anybody out there is married and they have a wife like mine, whom I love, my wife is amazing. But my wife is not going to let an issue that's a real issue just just slide under the radar. She's going to be like, OK, listen, if we're going to spend life together. We need to talk about this. And so I think that's where the, the justice issue is. So th- those would be some of the things that I think is going to look different. Um, and um, we've got to be prepared to, to engage all of those at the same time. I love it. I, so so I, I, I want to unpack a little bit because you shared a lot right there. Okay. Uh, one, one thing I want to unpack is, is, is I love, you know, I think one of the things I hear pastors saying, and I think you said it so well, is we, um, 
our buildings are a tool. They're, they're a tool for how we get ministry done. And I've heard churches say, we're moving from our building to Facebook. Well, the reality is, is it's, it, Facebook is also just a tool. And, and I think, as you say, we need to get in our communities. A church is about people. And so we use buildings to, to empower and engage and, in, 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 you know, create community. We use Facebook to do that. Um, but, but at the end of the day, like we've got to engage our people in community and discipleship and we've got to get out in our community. There's a technology, a platform, and I have no connection to it other than being friends with the founder called Vomo, V-O-M-O. Um, and it is a platform to help churches or any, any organization really, but it was really founded for churches to partner with local organizations and meet needs together and, and to share service opportunities uh, to get out of the church building and into the community uh, collectively and strategically. Um, I just, I, I so resonate with, with what you're saying there. And I, and I so resonate with, um, we just, there's a lot of thinking differently that we've got to do. And I think discipleship, uh, I, I would say maybe the last decade or even two decades has been so focused on evangelism uh, that it, that it's time to to really dig into discipleship and effective discipleship will lead to greater evangelism efforts. Um, Christopher, I, I, I've loved this conversation. Uh, I love the work you're doing in so many different areas and at Crossover Church. Uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation and engaging more on social media. And Nils, thank you so much for having me and uh, high five to you, brother, for, for all that you're doing. I appreciate it. So everybody listening, go to socialmedia.church. The show notes will be there, all the links that we talked about in this episode, and we will talk to you again on the next episode.